literally. And that's wonderful. That's a good testimony, right? Very good testimony. Well, it's nice to be here and see you all and share in the word. And uh, <clears throat> I just want to begin with a little quick word of prayer and ask the Lord's help. Father, we <clears throat> look up to thee this morning and rejoice that uh, no viruses or pandemics or bugs can uh, keep the word of God suppressed. Uh, no troubles or trials can erase uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the people of God. And uh, so, Lord, this morning as we uh, look into the word, we realize that the word of God is living and powerful and it's eternal. Please help us to uh, receive a blessing this morning. Help us to have attentive ears of our hearts. And uh, help me to speak clearly, Lord, what I've studied. And uh, may we go away with a blessing. And so we thank thee in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I've been thinking a bit about uh, the families and uh, the uh, effect that the church should have on families, little kids, medium kids, big kids, uh, right on up to all of us. And uh, you may have children at home, or you may be responsible for some, or you may be just praying for those. But uh, the assembly has a big relationship, uh, a big responsibility in uh, godly families. And so <clears throat> with that in mind, uh, I want to look at what the scripture has to say about a loving, uh, mentoring relationship of an older believer with a younger believer. And um, you might want to think in your mind about who would be a good model in the Bible for older and younger believers um, relating. If you think of the Old Testament, you might think of Moses and Joshua. But there isn't a great deal said about uh, some of the things we might be very interested in. In the New Testament, um, you might think of the Lord Jesus with his disciples, but they were they were grown men, right? And so uh, who might that be? Well, how about uh, Paul and Timothy? So that would be, somebody get that right? Good, good. Uh, now, before we read our scripture, I want to read a statement to you and ask you to think about it and see what you think. The more profound your view of the inspiration of Scripture is, the less we will talk of, quote, Paul's view or, quote, just cultural. And the more convictions we will have about God's eternal wisdom. Um. The more profound our view of inspiration is, the less we will go through the scriptures with the attitude, well, I don't like that part, it's just cultural. Um, the more we will look at scripture as being eternal wisdom, applicable and profitable in every age, to every person, every family. And so with that thought in mind then, um, we might suggest that the record of Paul's work with Timothy was not just cultural or something for long ago, 
but that it is in some ways a, a model for what we should be aiming for uh, in our day. Now, the emphasis on this particular section is not so much within the home. We have other scriptures where that really shines out, right? But uh, in 2 Timothy, and that's a book we're going to look at, in 2 Timothy, the emphasis is more the relationship of the local church uh, to Timothy. And, uh, and especially the idea that from time to time you have godly men and women of men and women of God who visit the assembly and uh, they are in some ways uh, a model for kids growing up. And you have godly men and women in the assembly that they see all the time. And they're certainly a model for uh, what's important. So I've been working in 2 Timothy for a while. And uh, I want to eventually get to <clears throat> the end of the book. But I thought for now, we would make a quick survey of the early part of the book. And uh, I'll try to just... Uh, zoom along here, and uh, then we'll get to what I really have in my heart most. Now let's see. Where's your clock? Oh yes, okay. I don't want to. I don't want to go too long here. But so if you look at Second Timothy, um, I'll try to give you a a brief overview of what the book's about. Paul is obviously writing his last recorded. Uh, book that we have, and uh, to his son in the faith. wasn't his natural son, but his spiritual son uh, that he's been shepherding along in the faith. <clears throat> and he wants to come in time to chapter 3 and verse 1, that um, in the end times, there's going to be dangerous days, perilous times. That's where we're heading. But maybe it'd be good to just look at the context of that and think about what he's told Timothy in chapter one and chapter two. Now, these are general instructions, general instructions. And so uh, stop for a minute and think about if there's somebody in your life, maybe in your family or somebody that you care about, a younger person, and uh, you don't want to preach at them, but from time to time you want to give them some um gentle exhortations, encouragements to go on in the Lord, right? To give their life to what's important, what matters. And uh, so what are the kinds of things that Paul says to Timothy? And again, thinking about that statement I read, uh, it isn't so much that, well, you know, could have been anything, and this is what he said, uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's important to me or to anybody. No, no. God has this preserved in his inspired word for all eternity. And therefore, I need to take a look at what Paul says to Timothy and think, would that be something helpful for me to uh, pass along to a younger person? And you know what? There's quite a few of them. Now, I listed uh, 10 in chapter 1 and ten, 2, and I'm just going to refer to them, and you can scan down your Bible in uh, chapter 1. And uh, verse 6, he says, you need to stir up the gift of God. Well, that's something that uh, every Christian young person needs to be challenged about. Don't let the gift of God go dormant. Stir it up. 
And then uh, in verse 8, he says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. So today, uh, peer pressure, right? That's a big a big uh, pressure on young people. And uh, Paul says, don't be ashamed of your testimony. Don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Don't be ashamed of me as a servant of the Lord. Uh, good words. Look down to verse 13. Hold on to sound words. Embrace, hold on to, hold tightly to sound words. That word in Greek, sound, means healthy. Hold on to healthy Healthy, life-giving words. Look at verse 14. Um, the good thing which was committed to thee, keep. What was committed to you, Timothy? Well, first of all, your salvation. And then uh, knowledge of the Lord, um, Christian friendships, Scripture, whatever. Hang on to it. Keep it. Uh, look at verse uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in grace. What a good exhortation. Be strong in grace. No matter what vocation you're heading toward, what church you attend, uh, what skills in life you have, what spiritual gift you have, whatever you're going to be in life or do, be strong in grace. And uh, verse 2 the things that thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Pass it on. Pass it on to others. Um, we're only halfway through the list here, but you could see already that these are, um, these are not just Paul's view, but these are things that have a shaping influence in the life of a young person that... Um, God has entrusted me, and uh, I have a responsibility. If you're here this morning and you're older, these are good things to be praying for the young people in the assembly or others that you know. Be bringing them before the Lord and say, Lord, give open their eyes to see the importance of this. Give them a hunger for this. Give them eyes to see it and give them courage to live it. God will answer those prayers. God will honor those prayers. Okay, let's go on. Verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness. Endure hardness. Now the world wants to spend money to avoid hardness. Um, pleasure is the name of the game. but And the Christian isn't told ever to seek hard times or create hard times. But this is a fallen world and they will come. And it's a, such a wonderful equipping to a young person's mind if they just have that in the back of their mind. I am to endure hard hardness when I face it. That's a mark of the Christian. All right, down to verse 14, chapter 2 and verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, certain things. So, uh, if you start reminding your Christian comrades and others of uh, spiritual truth and godly things, if you start reminding them, that will help reinforce it in your life. So little by little, you can see that Paul is now saying the kind of things that are shaping a life. And then verse 15, many of us know this by heart. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God. Spend time in the Word. Study the Word. And if you're going to do that, verse 16, uh, avoid loose talk. Foolish talk, avoid it. And then finally, a little bit farther down, verse 22 and 23, flee youthful lusts. That's a tough one for young people, right? Run from it like the plague. And uh, the world's message is uh, just dabble a little bit, enjoy a little bit, and um, it can't hurt you. And uh, verse 23, foolish and unlearned questions avoid. So that was kind of a quick uh, overview of Paul's instructions of Timothy in chapter 1 and chapter 2. I didn't want to spend a lot of time there. I just wanted to touch on it because I think it sets the stage for what he's going to get to. Now, keep in mind that even though we've, we've often said and we know that 2 Timothy is Paul's last writing that we have, um, he tells us a little bit farther down, chapter 4 and verse 6, I'm ready to be offered. So he knows his time on this earth is, is uh, very short, and he knows his time with Timothy is over. Uh, he's he's uh, not going to be able to spend much more time with him. Timothy may come and, uh, and see him, but uh, we're not sure how that worked out. But he knows his time is short. And it's often been said, and I'll just quickly repeat it, that when you know uh, someone's last words, it's very significant, and you pay attention what is it's on their heart. And so we want to look at that and see what is Paul's really uh, final words, because after a lifetime, there's a lot of good experiences, a lot of good working together, a lot of good uh, scriptures, a lot of Bible truths, a lot of wonderful things. So of all that, Paul is leaving uh, what's on his heart. Well, we start off in chapter 3, and he says, Know this, that in the end time, perilous times will come. Perilous times. I want to give you a little outline of this final section of Paul's words. Just three points, very simple. Um, in verse chapter 3, verse 1, to 9, chapter 3, verse 1 to 9, he speaks about perilous times or dangerous times that are ahead. That's the problem. There's a problem, and Paul brings it right out. And then beginning in chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, down, to verse four, uh, down to verse 17, the end of the chapter, he speaks about preparation, Timothy's preparation. God has been preparing you for these days. And uh, boy, I think it's a wonderful thing when a young person grows up with a sense that I'm being prepared. I was reading about some of the Olympic um, greats on uh, the Olympic Games. And from the youngest childhood, the conviction that, you know, I'm not like everybody else. I have to be disciplined. I have to take care of my body. I have to practice long hours. Yeah, all the other kids are doing this and going here and I just can't do that. Well, that's done, Paul says, for a corruptible crown. And uh, what a good thing if a young person is faced with that for an eternal crown. Please the Lord. So uh, part one, uh, the problems that are ahead. Part two, the preparation Timothy faced. 
And then um, in chapter 4, if you look at that, verse 1, he says, I charge thee, therefore there is a charge, and I would call this a prophetic charge, because we're going to see that there's a there's a word from the Lord here for Timothy, and uh, it's so powerful and enduring, it reaches uh, to us today and will continue until the Lord comes. So that's a little overview of uh, the, the section, and I, I want to just take a few minutes and uh, run through these things with you. Um, look at the first in chapter 3. Look at the first... Uh, list there, chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. What's the problem? Well, Paul says, in the last days, there will be dangerous times. Now, did Timothy know uh, this was going to go on for 2,000 years? (laughs) I don't think so. In fact, at one point in his life, Paul thought the Lord would come when he was alive. And nobody knew how long this would go on. Nobody dreamed this would go on for a couple thousand years. Did God know it? Sure he did. Why didn't he tell us? In fact, not only why didn't he tell us, but why did he almost make it sound like the Lord could come in your lifetime all the way along the 2,000 years? Well, John tells us that if you have the hope of the Lord's coming, it's a purifying hope. And there is nothing that God could have done, I believe, throughout history that would have a more purifying effect on the child of God than to believe the Lord could come in my lifetime. And I don't want to get into a hornet's nest here because I'm I'm a visitor and I don't know where you all stand on these eschatological questions But, you know, um, I think it can be a bit hurtful uh, when these views are promoted that the Lord cannot come today. There are things that uh, just haven't happened yet, the Antichrist and the temple, whatever, whatever. And so don't worry, the Lord can't come today. Well, the Lord kind of designed it that you would think the Lord could come today. And you know what? I think the scripture is pretty clear that he really could. And it's a healthy thing for our young people when they understand that that's more than just a theological dispute, but that that's a reality uh, that we need to live in the light of. Okay, so he says, in the last days, dangerous times will come. Now, um, I have another little sentence here I want to read to you and uh, think about this and see what you think about it. End time passages not only reveal the trend of human history, but the natural inclination of every human heart. Let me read that again. End time passages, another Bible passages that talk about, quote, the end times, not only reveal the trend of human history, but they reveal the trend of every human heart. So when Paul says in the end times, this is what's going to happen, we don't read this list and say, well, um, 
somebody living in 500 or 1000 AD doesn't have to worry about it because obviously they weren't living in the end times. Well, um, we know now they weren't, but we also can see that they had the same kind of heart we have. And what we see recorded here is what your heart and my heart and everybody's heart since the beginning of time would incline toward if we're not careful, if we don't know the Lord. So let's see what it says. Well, he says in verse two, men are going to be lovers of their own selves. Think that's relevant? Think that's happening? Covetous, boasters, proud. Boy, sounds like it was written for an election year. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. How relevant the Word of God is, right? We can't just say this is only for, uh, this will only happen in the last year before Christ comes. This is the natural inclination of every human heart. Uh, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. This is quite a list. Paul says to Timothy, if you're going to grow up becoming a servant of the Lord, you, this is what you're going to face in the human heart. So um, don't get too cozy with all those uh, philosophies that say we're basically good. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not what the way the humanity is going. Um, then secondly, after that list, look at the end of verse 4. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's a big problem today. Big problem today. I mean, if you're in the Lord's work, you face this all the time. Well, you know, I would be at prayer meeting, but my boat had, or my lawn was growing, or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm not against boats or lawns. But uh, I think there comes a place in the life of a family where you have to say, let's put the Lord first. Let's put the Lord first. And the kids are watching what gets first priority. If we can keep everything happy, there's no struggle. The problem is when two things want the same piece of time, who wins? That's the problem. And you know what? Kids are very sharp. They pick up on it quickly. Mom and dad, be careful. So lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We see that today. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power from it. So what does this mean? Even in the end time, there's going to be a lot of religion. You see that today? All over the world, right? A lot of religion. May not have the Spirit of God in it, the power is denied, but the world can be a very religious place. Verse 6, a lot of immorality going on. Verse 7, how's this one for an up-to-date Bible verse? Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Daniel says, in the end times, knowledge shall be increased. Think he got that right? Knowledge shall be increased. Verse 8, problems with authority. Two men that withstood Moses, 
resisting the truth, corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. One of the most fundamental things you can do for a young person is help them to know that God is never going to punish you because you relate to authority. Right? The authority may be a bad authority, school or police or wherever. They may not be a good authority, but that's in God's hands. The Lord isn't going to punish you because you related rightly to the authority. He's going to bless you. Somehow he's going to use that. Remember the verse, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. So when you're relating to the authority at school or wherever it is, just picture, okay, buddy, you could say and do what you want, but just remember your heart is in God's hands. Any moment he may just squeeze it. <laughs> um, verse 9, the promise that they'll get no further. Uh, eventually their foolishness will be manifest to all men. And uh, so that's the first section that Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, um, there's problems ahead. And I just want to say here to any young people up here, or I think downstairs there's some too, I just want to say to you that um, if you have any thought in the back of your mind that you might want to go on and serve the Lord in your life, maybe in the mission field, maybe at home, or certainly as an employee or a homemaker, uh, where God puts you, if you want to be the Lord's servant, settle it right now that these are the kind of things that you're going to run up against all the time. Nothing has gone wrong. This is the course of the human heart. And if you settle that in your mind, that these are the things that I'm going to be up against as a believer, it'll make it so much easier for you. Some of us grew up where we, that we were never told that. And so each time you run into one of these, you say, where are you, God? What's wrong? It's a big help to young people to be uh, just told nothing's wrong in a fallen world. This is natural. This is the way it is. And it will affect you. And the general uh, exhortation for you in the Lord is endure hardness. It's not going to go on forever. They will proceed no further. Okay, so then what's the second part? Well, the second part is Timothy's preparation. Um, I love this section. It's quite brief. Paul doesn't spend too much time on it, but um, take a look at it. But you, verse 10, have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, patience, persecutions and afflictions, and so on. Um, it's good for young people to really get to know the people they look up to. One of the hard parts about, and, and I'm not saying an unkind word here because uh, God used them mightily in my, my faith as a young person, but one of the hard parts about traveling preachers is they're on their best behavior, right? Come into town and have roast beef at your house and share a nice Bible message and off to the train or the plane and they're gone. You say, wow, does he have any problems? Um, when Ruth and I were younger married, this is going back some time ago, um, I came down with the flu and um, she and a lady in our chapel were talking about that. He said, oh, yeah, he was really sick. He was throwing up. 
And the daughter said, Mr. Spender throws up? Really? Why? Well, I was a servant of the Lord, and they see me in church. You don't do that stuff in church. But uh, it made me realize, you know what? They, they get the idea that you're, you're a, a, a super saint. You're not real. And so these um, hikes and cookouts and all the other stuff you do, um, it's good. It's good. Let them know the real you. And look at this list. I want to challenge some of you who are Bible teachers or speakers. That would make a very good message, this one verse, 2 Timothy 3.10. Take these apart one by one and suggest how how these might um, be worked into the life of of the folks in your meeting, especially young people. And look what he puts first. Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine. You know what I believe and what I teach. And uh, you also know the way I lived, my manner of life. There's a connection right there, right, between what you believe and the way you live, doctrine and duty. Um, My purpose, I love this one. Timothy, you've known my purpose. Young people know what your purpose in life is for? How about moms and dads? Do you ever talk to them about that? Look, we do a lot of stuff here. We save money. We spend it. We have a house. Years go by. But do you know what I'm living for? And when I tell you what I'm living for, does my life kind of back that up? Or are you saying, really? I would never have guessed. Okay? My purpose. See, this is why, this is what I said before, that the Word of God is inspired Paul is putting things down that the Spirit of God put on his heart that would have an impact on lives for 2,000 years. It's inspired and eternal. You have known my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love. Why is love so far down the road on the list? Isn't that the first one, love, most important? You'd think so. Recently, I did a series in John 13 through 17. And I found that the Lord Jesus never once said to his disciples, I love my father. Not one time. He said, once, this is what I do do so that the world will know I love the father. But he never said it to his disciples, I want you to know I love the father. Why is that? He was very clear that We demonstrate our love by our obedience. It's not just talk. It's showing it that we love. So if you're a husband that says, I love you, honey, to your wife, but that's all she gets is words, it's probably not very happy. But if you're a husband that is serving your wife and demonstrating to your wife, um, she probably says, I'm not worried about the words. The part that really means a lot to me That's what I get. I get served, encouraged. In other words, I get loved. All right, so um, here's Paul's statement to Timothy about, here's your preparation. First of all, you've known me. You've really known me. And what I went through, verse 11, and that this will be shared by all the Lord's servants, verse 12. And uh, things are going to get worse in verse, verse 13. 
but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been sure of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now there's a connection here between knowing the scriptures and knowing who taught them to you. So moms and dads, um, it's not just learn your verses at church, but who's helping you learn your verses, knowing of whom you have learned them. When I met my wife, um, I was amazed at how much scripture she had to memorize. And she could say all these long scriptures off. Then we got the Christian school going and they had all the kids memorizing all these verses. Now I'm a little older and I see it's not so easy to memorize stuff. I go over it and I think I got it. The next day, <laughs> where'd it go? <laughs> not so easy. From a child, verse 15, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, um, for a second, I want you to just think about the progression in Timothy's life. Paul speaks here about what went on as a child, verse 15. And as a child, he was knowing the Scriptures at home. Okay? And then when he became a young man, if you look up at verse uh, 10, you find that he had godly examples, godly mentors to be studying. And so maybe that's a kind of an eternal recipe from the Lord for our kids. When they're a child at home, the emphasis is on scriptures. Make sure they're getting exposed to scriptures. It's not just one day a week in church. Don't put off your responsibility as a parent to the Sunday school teacher, right? In the home, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but we decided we would go over one verse of the Proverbs every morning with our kids. I did that with all three of our kids, one verse every day. It took many, many years to go through the book of Proverbs three times. But, you know, the Lord blessed it. The Lord blessed it. And it didn't have to be preachy. I just read the verse and say, John, what do you think that means? And he would try to take a guess. And then I'd say, well, maybe it could mean this, right? Yeah, Dad, that could be it. There's a verse, there's a little clue if you're a young parent. There's a verse in uh, Proverbs chapter 1 that says, a wise man will hear. You know, some kids, when you try to talk to them about right and wrong or clean their room or whatever, and they kind of pull away and get mad, say, by the way, what is a wise man? What does Proverbs say about a wise man? He would say a wise man will hear. Say, okay, um, listen up, I have something to tell you. <laughs> it was very helpful, even in chapter one. So as a child... He knows the scriptures at home, and it talks about his mother and his grandmother in 1 Timothy, how godly they were. Then as a young person, he has godly mentors and examples in the assembly. And then when you get to verse 17, you have the adult man. Now he's grown up. And what is the one thing we can say about him? Well, let's look at it. Verse 16 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is God breathed, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, 
that the man of God may be fully mature. That's what perfect means, fully mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Timothy, you're a young man now, and you're in the Lord's work. And you know what? Through that godly preparation, you're ready. You're ready. Thoroughly furnished means completely equipped. Where else do we read that? If you're a Bible student, you probably know. Ephesians chapter 4, right? Gifted men, the evangelist, pastor, teacher, are given for what? The equipping of the saints. That's the hallmark passage on the responsibility of the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. It's fine if they want to go out and win lost people. It's fine if they want to teach Bible studies. It's fine if they want to go shepherding. But don't forget your main responsibility and assignment, the equipping of the saints. It isn't just you do it because you're the professional with the gift. It is that you are training the saints so that when you leave, they can do it. That's so important. So Paul tells us here through the scriptures, Timothy, you as the man of God are ready, completely furnished to all good works. You know what that means? That means there'll never be a situation in your life that you face where the Lord will say, yeah, that one got by me. I didn't have that one in the Bible. Um, not sure what you're going to do. Thoroughly furnished means completely. 100%. There will always be a resource from God to what to do in the most difficult situation. Isn't that nice? Okay, so that's Timothy's preparation. He's now, as a servant of the Lord, ready uh, to serve the Lord with his life. So the next part, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Now, make a note that beginning at verse 6, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 4, verse 6, it's all personal about Paul and people that uh, he would send greetings to. So as far as the uh, actual charge to Timothy goes, it ends at chapter 4 and verse 5. So what can we say then about chapter 4, verse 1 through 5? It's a prophetic warning. It's a prophetic charge given to Timothy. Now, just stop and think about this, folks. We've talked about Second Timothy being the last book, and these two passages, chapter 3 and 4, being the last subject. Now we're down to kind of the last sentence. So when you're down to the last sentence, somebody would say, the last couple sentences you really have to tune up your ear. This is going to be it from the great writer, Paul the Apostle. And what's on his heart? Well, Timothy, based on the problems that exist and based on the preparation God has given you, I want to charge you and look at the strength of this charge. You don't read this kind of a charge anywhere else that I know in Scripture charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall ju judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. This is not just a Timothy, you know, uh, let me give you some advice. This is a charge that is in strong terms. 
The Lord, the judge, is listening to what I say, and he will hold me accountable, and he will hold you accountable. That's how important this is. And what are you to do? Preach the word. Be diligent at all seasons. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I want to pause right there. Do you know how many people there are today in churches that are offended by being reproved, rebuked, and exhorted? And because of that, do you know how many preachers that are that won't go there? We're supposed to be positive. We're supposed to be encouragers. Uh, I just want to be, I want to be at the back door and have everybody say, oh, that was so wonderful. Just warm my heart. The message I got this morning is whatever I'm doing and it doesn't matter, God is happy. And Paul says, if you're going to be a servant of the Lord, you have to understand that you have at times a calling that is not overly popular. This is not a popularity contest. Now, does that mean that a preacher or a teacher of the word of God needs to be gloomy and negative? No, not at all. In fact, you could be a downright nice person. But you have to deal with subjects that may not be uh, the ones people want to hear. It may be convicting. And Paul says, not only preach the word at all seasons and do these things, reprove, rebuke, exhort, but he said, accompany it with long suffering. Timothy, this, you may not be popular. There may be some suffering involved in this. People say, well, we'll give to that brother. But you know what? I heard his last message, and he had a lot of exhortation in there. I guess I won't give him any fellowship. Uh, I'll pick somebody that has more jokes. Nice person. All right, now, <clears throat> long-suffering a doctrine. Now, why did I say it was a prophetic warning? Because look at verse 3. Um, this is the verse that kind of got me into the study that we're doing. Um, he says, the time will come, looking ahead, there will be a time coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust will they heap up teachers having itching ears. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned into fables. I have read that all my life because I've been a Christian most of my life. I've read that all my life. And I say, yep, that's there. Um, so? When I was studying it recently, I said, you know, maybe a paraphrase of this would help bring it alive. Now, I'm not suggesting my paraphrase is scripture. I'm saying it's a paraphrase. Try to help us get it. But let's think about a paraphrase of this. Timothy, the time will come where there will be people exposed to your ministry in the churches who will say, I can't stand that teaching. I can't stand that teaching. The church where I go, they have this or that conviction. I can't stand to hear about that. And so I'm looking for a, quote, good church and a good teacher. Right? That's what I'm looking for that. You notice what Paul says is motivating them? He says, after their own lusts. I hope you uh, are taught in the word enough to know the word lust does not necessarily have anything to do with sex, right? It could, but the word lust means strong, out-of-control desire in any area. 
insatiable desire. So here's a person that says, I can't stand this ministry, this teaching. Um, I have feelings that are important, and I want them patted and coddled. I want to feel good. I want to go to a church where they make you feel good. So I'm looking for good teachers who will tickle my ears. That's what I want. I want to have my ears tickled. And the things that I was raised in and used to believe, I don't believe them anymore. I think, you know, they're just, that's Paul's view or it's cultural. It's, it's not for today or it's not for me. And you notice verse 4 is the most, probably the most sobering words of the whole thing. They turn their ears from the truth. It doesn't say, and they turn their ears to fables. The word here in Greek is myths. It says, they shall be turned to myths. This is a judicial hardening from God where they believe myths or things that are not true. And what is the thing? Please don't think that they're going to go out and worship sticks and stones or ancient Greek gods or totem poles or something. No, no, it's not what's referred to. They're going to believe by conviction things that are not true. And what kind of things do people want to believe that are not true? Well, a big one that comes out of this passage is that the goal of doctrine and the church and the Lord's servant, the goal is to give you good feelings. And that's a myth. That is not the goal of sound doctrine or the church or the Lord's servant. And you know what? If you're going to be a Timothy, you're going to preach the word, rebuke, reprove, and exhort. You have to understand that. So I don't want to leave this subject without adding so that I'll mistake, misspeak. Um, be the servant of the Lord that can smile. I was at a funeral a couple months ago, and an old-timer walked up to me, and he said, it's all right to smile. You weren't baptized in vinegar. <laughs> I was pretty good. Be a servant of the Lord that can smile and enjoy life, right? should enjoy life. And look at all the positive and happy and wonderful blessings in the Word of God. And talk about often the greatness of our salvation and the goodness of God and the joy of knowing the Lord and those things. That's all good. But our focus this morning is on this particular section. And to be true to this particular section, we need to understand there's going to be people that you will encounter that don't like this kind of ministry. The word to the elders, it's okay to have this kind of ministry in the assembly once in a while. It's okay. Get to a passage that there's hard words from our Lord or the apostles or whatever. It's okay to go into that. Not a problem. Shouldn't be a problem. Well, I think um, I think I'm going to end right there and uh, and just uh, thank God that you were here this morning, that I was here, and that Bramford Bible Chapel is here, and that uh, God hasn't left us to wonder how are we going to make a mark in the lives of young people.
but he's given us good stuff in his word, good stuff. And I see all these folks here this morning, and uh, I can only think, praise the Lord for each one of you. And uh, keep on. Keep doing what you're doing. All the, the person, I don't know who wrote out all those pieces with the names on every chair and um, arranged everything and got all the electronic stuff, people downstairs and all the rest. Um, do you know the Lord is taking notes? He didn't miss one thing of all that preparation that was done. Not one thing. And uh, you'll see it again someday. You might not see some of the other stuff you did, but your service from him, you will see it again one day. And uh, what a wonderful thing that is. So, yeah, keep on. And um, thank you for letting me come and share with you. Let's look up to the Lord. Father, we're grateful to be together this morning indoors. Um, and we pray that uh, somehow we might seize these opportunities of changing environment always for the good of the Lord Jesus, his glory, and um, not be thinking primarily about what's comfortable. Bless all the dear families here, we pray, and bless all the young people that are uh, really making their formative choices at their young ages. And um, we ask that there will be many servants of the Lord, many, many coming out from this work right here. So, our Father, we are thankful that we could be together and look into the Scriptures. We ask these things thankfully in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.